Hello and welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast. The podcast where two ladies play games, mumble profanities, and laugh way too often. Also, this podcast covers topics of sensitive nature. As such, listener discretion is advised. Seventh episode that we've Twen- recorded. Twenty seven. Twenty seven. Oh my lord! I know it's crazy. We're almost at thirty, guys. And for any new listeners, I guess I should inform you that my name is Emily, and I guess I should also uh, inform you that my name is Jim. <laughs> and our special guests today are the two birds. Who you can hear in the background, so sorry guys, uh, but they're turkeys. That can't be fixed in post, so they get introduced. <laughs> they have input too. Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but Jen, would you like to introduce what our topic is for this week? So we messed up again, guys. <laughs> um, so we told you last week we were going to talk about cult crimes. But JK, we're actually going to talk about Father's Day crimes because I guess like Father's Day is a thing that's happening this year. Like every year. I hear. <laughs> it's really snuck up on me this year. Mine too. I'm glad that I picked a gift out like two months ago because I would have been totally lost this month. Well, that's where I'm at. So. I feel that. I feel like I'm only screaming internally every day. I, you know, I'll make it to a store eventually, I hope. Or they sell it. I'll just go to Canadian. You could always buy like an online Walmart gift card if you wanted to. I feel like my dad would not use that. <laughs> he would just be like, mm. he'd I'm, be like, oh thanks. And why didn't you get this for like a clotting place? <laughs> why isn't this for somewhere interesting? <laughs> why isn't this something I want? And I'd be like, I'm sorry. They have camping gear at Walmart. That's what their motto is. Save money, go quoting. <laughs> I think that's their motto. Oh, is it? Yeah, no. You keep slowly pushing me away. You're like, bye. <laughs> Run away, Emily. Emily, stop screaming into the microphone. <laughs> that should be the new name of this podcast. Emily, stop screaming in the microphone. Yeah. I mean, probably. Give us five stars if you agree. Oh, look, we just got 300 five-star reviews. Oh, man, that was quick. (laughs) I know. I just took that for them to be like, wow, everybody on Earth happened to know what you were saying at this exact moment and knew what to do. They really did. Should I spin our Wheel of Questions, seeing as we are the Wheel of Crime? Oh, yeah, we're the Wheel of Crime podcast. In in case you forgot who we are. What's the best dad meme? The best dad meme is prob... Like, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? I meme, like, anything you've seen on, like, your Facebook or Instagram that's, like, why are all dads like this? And then you look in the comments and everyone's like, oh my god, my dad does that. I don't know. I can't relate because I feel like... Everybody's got these like super quirky, dorky dads, and my dad is so not like that. <laughs> he's like a very like like you know, he's quirky in his own ways, but not in like the meme way. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Uh 
You can also pick one that is your favorite, but you don't necessarily relate to, like one you, you may think is just funny. Mm-hmm. Okay, do you have one? Do I have one? Yeah, what's yours? Ooh. I think that one with, like, the dad that wears, like, the jean shorts and the, the thick sneakers, and they're usually New Balance. I love that one. My dad personally does not wear New Balance, <laughs> but it's it's pretty, it aligns pretty closely with my life, I think. Hmm. I kind of like those, like, I wanted to say Will Smith, but no. I, I like, like Will Smith. <laughs> That's my favorite dad meme. I like Will Smith. What's that guy's name? The guy? Oh my god. Who's that guy? Will, Will Ferrell. Ferrell <laughs> Williams? <laughs> I like the Will Ferrell memes where it's like him like sitting and like looking at the camera. And like an 80s dad? Yeah. And like, and then it's like, my daughter is only allowed three male friends. The father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Okay, that is pretty funny. Oh my god. I'm like, yay, chunky sneakers. <laughs> you were like, no, I like my 80s dad photos. 80s dad equal best dad. Maybe. Equal me as a dad. <laughs> I was gonna say, that, da- that dad aesthetic though. <laughs> Smee though. Smee. Smee. <laughs> <laughs> What's the coolest thing about your dad? Um, and no, my dad no, did not write that question. <laughs> dad, how'd you get Emily's iPad? Dad, how did you figure out how to work an iPad? It's <laughs> <laughs> a sick burn, man. <laughs> he doesn't listen, I'm safe. My mom will think this is funny. <laughs> I'm pretty sure my dad does listen, so hi, dad. Um... <laughs> Sorry I insulted you earlier. Well, you're going to hate my portion of this episode (laughs) later anyways. Oh, God. So be insulted while you can. Okay, well, the coolest thing I think about my dad, I could really, like, butter him up and be like, he's just the sweetest and the nicest and the most supportive person ever, which he is of those things. But I am going to say he does have one eyebrow that's really funny. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to say that's the coolest thing about my dad. And also that he, uh, I think this was like three summers ago, built my mom a pair of stilts at when she asked him, and he didn't even question it. He's just like, ah, yes. The next thing, the next thing my wife wants to do. <laughs> That's so true, though. Right? Um, I think the coolest thing about my dad is how handy he is. I can literally, like, I thought you were going to say handsome. <laughs> <laughs> so continue he can literally build like something from nothing like he'll take a piece of scrap metal and then somehow he's got like a fucking functioning flashlight and i'm like how the hell did like how did this even happen (laughs) where did this i I blinked now there's a flashlight like when i was in like middle school like we'd always make those like projects together and like they would i would always bring home like a pile of shit And then all of a sudden it would turn into something awesome. And then I was like, thanks, Dad. (laughs) Like at one time in grade 10, we were working on, we were doing Lord of the Flies. Oh, I remember that. And we were supposed to build like a, like some sort of like, you know, representation of the island. So me and the girl, (laughs) we were working on this together. Like I came home with like some blue Play-Doh and like... (laughs) 
some sticks and he like took one look at it and he's like hmm what's that you're like he's like ah crafty (laughs) and like literally helped me make it and then they had like real sand and like burnt trees and it was fucking epic (laughs) and i was like you took my pile of shit and turned it into something good how did that even happen now that i think about i feel like my dad is also a little bit like that he he's more artsy though Mm -hmm. is what it is my dad helped me make that sick-ass vending machine costume in middle I, school. You were a shower one year. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember where, that. Where did you get this inspiration from anyways? Well, the shower was from Karate Kid. What? Yeah. Maybe Karate- it's from Karate Kid. In the original Karate Kid movie, he goes as a shower because he's like trying to hide from his bullies. And I thought that was the funniest thing. So I was like, I'm going to go as you a shower. Were, you were in grade seven. Six. No. No, you're right, seven. I met you in grade six, and you thought I was weird. Well, you were weird, but... Well, not much has changed. (laughs) But you went as a shower, so what does that say about how weird you are? The year before, I went as a witch, and the year before that, I went as Hilary Duff. So clearly, like... And then all the years before that, you were Hilary Duff. (laughs) It's like, I went between witch and Hilary Duff, because I liked the witch costume, but, like, Hilary Duff was, like, my jam. I love being like, yeah, I'm Hilary yeah, my name's Hillary. <laughs> I very distinctly remember for many years growing up picking a bat costume every year because it was literally just like a thing you pulled over your head and it was like a cape. And I was like, this is the easiest costume ever. I'm just going to be a bat every year. <laughs> oh, wow. Lazy. I've gotten better. I've gotten better. My costume this year, if I'm in town for Halloween, is going to be fun, but... We'll see what happens. You guys will have to wait and see. Next question? Okay. Who is your daddy? I'm your daddy. (laughs) Correct. Next question. (laughs) Sweet. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. Can we have a question? This is hard. What's the next question? What's the best animal, Dad? <laughs> what kind of a question is that? Fine, I'll answer. <laughs> okay. I think the best animal, Dad, are seahorses. Because they carry the babies for the mom. Well, then I think the best animal, Dad, is penguins. Because they, like, go and make the nests out of rocks. And I watched a whole documentary. It's called Penguins by Disney Nature. I thought you were gonna, and it's about. I thought, I thought you were gonna say March of the Penguins, and I was like, Jenna, <laughs> we've all seen that. It's about a penguin named Steve, and it's so cute. You guys need to watch it. <laughs> ten out of ten, because it's about a penguin named Steve. Is he the dad? He's the dad. He's the dad. Now we know who the dad is. Steve's the dad. Who's your daddy? Steve! (laughs) So, a father. A father. Also known as the dad. Is the male parent of a child. Besides the paternal bonds of a father to his children... The father may have a parental, legal, and social relationship with the child that carries with it certain rights and obligations. An adoptive father is a male who has become the child's parent through the legal process of adoption. A biological father is the male genetic contributor to the creation of the infant through sexual intercourse. 
or sperm donation. (laughs) (laughs) A biological father may have legal obligations to a child not raised by him, such as an obligation of monetary support, a putuative father. A (laughs) putuative. I can't say this word. Is a man whose biological relationship to the child is alleged but has not been established. A stepfather is a male who is the husband of a child's mother and they may form a family unit but who generally does not have the legal rights and responsibilities of a parent in relation to the child. Wow. Thanks for Emily explaining dads for clearing the air <laughs> if you did not know what a dad was. Whew. I'm so glad I'm educated now. I know. It's so much different than before. <laughs> I feel like a changed woman. <laughs> yeah. You look like one. <laughs> <laughs> but would you like to go with your story first or shall I? Go ahead, Emmers, because I have a feeling this is gonna be a good one. It is? It's wacky. It's super wacky or kind of wacky? Well, uh, so you know how one becomes a father, right? They have to... (laughs) We just learned this. Yes, so they have sex with the mom and then they have a baby. Or they donate the sperm. Or they donate the sperm. So I'm going to talk about one of the notorious father figures (laughs) from earthly mythology of course you are so of course i'm going to be talking about the greek god zeus (laughs) and his wacky sexual exploits (laughs) wacky sexual exploits it's just like perfect oh it's it's cream (laughs) the cream of the crop (laughs) it's the cream of the crop yep (laughs) I will go for it because this made me cry when I made my notes and now you're going to cry. I'm already crying. The Greek gods loved nothing more than finding strange new ways to procreate and none more so than the king of the gods himself. From turning into various animals to tricking women into thinking he's someone or something else, here's an all-encompassing list of the weird ways Zeus had sex. Everything. <laughs> I can't say that word normally because then it sounds super biological. So I'm gonna keep with it. I'm gonna spice it up. Yeah. Everything from constellations to entirely new gods and demigods were created as a result of Zeus's sexual conquests. <laughs> from. You sound like a southern mom. <laughs> I do. <laughs> Uh, from (laughs) From slightly offbeat to outright terrible, here are some of the weirdest things that Zeus did to get laid. Oh, wow. Don't worry. Like I said, this isn't even the part where I cried yet. (laughs) So, he turned into a ray of sunshine to give a golden shower. Ew. King (laughs) Acrisius. Seriously, ew. (laughs) Just wait. King Acrisius of the of Argos had a pretty sweet life with being a king and everything, and the only way he felt it could get any better was if, if he had a male heir. <laughs> if he had male heir. <laughs> Anyways. I, I love that for him. <laughs> oh, yay. Good for him. To his throne. <laughs> he went to an oracle to learn if he, if, that if he wanted to ever receive one, then he was told that not only would he have a male heir, but the heir would ultimately kill him. So he did what any logical man would do. So he locked his daughter, Danae, in a room with no door so that no man could penetrate it. 
and then in parentheses it's like or her <laughs> anyways <laughs> okay. enter zeus only not through the door since or anything because the room didn't have a door he turned himself into a ray of golden sunshine so that he could filter in through the cracks in the walls we don't know the details after that, but we assume there was some literally dazzling sex. Because nine months later, we have baby Perseus. Yay! Except Perseus accidentally kills King Acrisus in a quite demonstration decades no. later. <laughs> no, quite. <laughs> it's in the notes. I have to read it. And that was that one. And then... <laughs> and that's that. Moving on. The next one is... He transformed into a swan because screw eagles. Fair. <laughs> you know, I can relate to that. So it seems rational to me. You're like, same though. Same. <laughs> King Tandarius of Sparta had a lovely wife named Leda. One day, an eagle attacked Leda as she was bathing in a body of water outdoors. Zeus, who had already been perving on her for some time, decided that today would be his lucky day. He used the eagle attack as an excuse to change himself into a swan and fend off the violent eagle. <laughs> At this point, it's unclear whether or not he seduced Lita willingly or raped her, but the end result is the same. Nine months later, Lita laid and argued upon a number of eggs. Yes. The children who came from these eggs were named Castor, Pollux, Clytemnestra, <laughs> and Helen. <laughs> And, and Helen. But to note, this is the famously beautiful Helen of Troy, who played an integral part in Homer's epic Iliad. Ooh. Fun fact. Well, that's a fun fact, though. Right? On to the next one. <laughs> You're like, I can't even handle this right now. <laughs> he changed into a bull to swim. Obviously. As one does. Yeah. Uh, Europa was the daughter of King Agenor of Sidon and said to be a lovely virginal maiden. One day, as she picked flowers with her lovely virginal maiden friends. I like how that you have to have specify that. They're like, don't worry, guys. They were virgin. There were no boyfriends. Uh, she came across a beautiful but docile white bull. Unbeknownst to her, the bull was actually Zeus. He had, <gasps> he had transformed himself into the gentle beast in order to boink her. <laughs> Whoa! Seriously. When she tempted fate and climbed on the bull's back, Zeus sped off for the nearest water source and began swimming rapidly to Crete. After some time, Europa put two and two together and realized this was not normal bull behavior. <laughs> really? I know. I wonder what her first, like, tip-off was. Like, hmm. Maybe the fact it's a white bull would be <laughs> or the a fact start. She could, like, easily get on it and, like, ride it. And it was like, okay, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> this is my life now. <laughs> Seriously. Zeus, still in his bull form and still presumably doing his best Michael Phelps impression, <laughs> explained who he was and his intentions. So Europa, who probably didn't have a choice anyways, went along with the whole thing and ended up giving him children. One who became King Minos of Crete. Wow. Yeah. A king. A king? <laughs> From a bull? <laughs> you know, why get your swim trunks when you can just turn into a bull to let's go see, swimming? Yeah, like, what's even the point? <laughs> I don't even know what it, 
What have I been doing all these years? Right? Putting all these money into new swimsuits when we could just turn into a bowl. God, I'm so stupid. <laughs> why didn't why I think of this? I'm a fucking idiot. Why, why, why am I like this? But you see, this is why I had to read these. Because as I was going through, I was like, this is ridiculous. What a bad father. <laughs> Zeus, you is a bad dad. For real. <laughs> he morphed into an eagle to man-nap and enslave a beautiful youth. That's scary. Mm-hmm. Prince Ganymede, son of King Tros of Dardania, was known far and <laughs> so, Hold on. Dardania? Yeah. <laughs> Where the fuck is Dardania? Where I'm from. Oh, okay. Obviously. <laughs> It's somewhere. It's a place on Earth. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I, it could be on Mars. I wouldn't even know. Oh, well, we're on Mars. <laughs> I'm so tired. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Was known far and wide for his beauty. Proving that Zeus cared more about beauty than gender, he transformed himself into an eagle in order to carry the pretty boy of Mount Olympus for what we can only assume was some very rough yet strangely soft bestiality. Oh, God. (laughs) Unfortunately, the story doesn't end there. Zeus... (laughs) Zeus... Enjoyed the prince's company immensely, and like a good Rickroll, was never gonna give him up, and was never gonna let him down, and never gonna say goodbye. He ended up keeping uh, poor Prince Ganymede up on Mount Olympus against his will to serve him as a cupbearer, and paid his father and horses his compensation, something he rarely, if ever, did for his female love interests. So eventually, Zeus turned Ganymede into the constellation Aquarius. Oh further proving that Greek mortals, male or female, are better off not being gorgeous enough to tempt Zeus if they want to be masters of their own lives. <laughs> Fair. <Fact. laughs> That's a facto rooney. You loonies. At least Zeus doesn't care. He's like, as long as you're beautiful, I don't care. I don't care who you are. <laughs> let's, let's get it started. Huh? Let's, let's get, get it started in here. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> As you karate chop mine, I got out of my hand. He transfigured his mistress into a cow to hide her from his wife. <laughs> That's logical. That is just straight up logical. Right? I like don't even I'm not even mad. So Princess Io or Lo of Argos probably didn't expect to end up as Zeus's love interest, but considering his illustrious career in seduction and rape. We're guessing that it was actually an extremely common occurrence. What wasn't common was Hera finding out about it, and find out she really did. In a spur-of-the-moment decision over Hera's coitus interruptus, is what they call it, (laughs) Zeus changed Princess Io, I think it's Io, into a white cow, and when asked, told Hera he had never seen that strange-looking cow before. (laughs) Since Hera hadn't been born yesterday, she saw right through his lie, and instead of cornering him on it, she pretended to buy into it and demanded that she be given the cow. With no way out of it, Zeus gifted Io to Hera, and Zeus eventually helped her escape and turned her back into a human, but only after she wandered the earth from Greece to Egypt. That's a long trip. Uh Uh-huh. As a cow, can you imagine? (laughs) My hooves hurt. (laughs) My my hooves (laughs) 
Come on, Zeus, my hooves. And I remember when I was reading up on this story, there was like another thing too where she was like followed by like a f- like a flock of flies that would like bite her constantly. Oh, right? That's so sad. Aww. And she's like, and I did nothing to deserve this. I was kidnapped. <laughs> Help me, I'm a cow with my hooves and <laughs> <Bitten> my flies. <laughs> And it's rude. (laughs) It's rude. (laughs) He turned into a goddess so he could get with her friends. Ooh. Callisto was a nymph of Lyacon, the king of Arcadia, and an ardent follower of the goddess Artemis. Like all other nymphs that followed Artemis, she had taken a vow to remain a virgin. This was problematic. (laughs) At least it was for Zeus, because he really, really wanted to bang her (laughs) wow and apparently everything else so so he disguised himself in the form of artemis and seduced Callisto in what Callisto thought was going to be every groupie's dream so Callisto became pregnant which means that if we're going to believe Callisto and artemis are both female either the greeks need to go back to sex ed or they know something that we don't know and they have some explaining to do Artemis eventually discovered what Zeus had done, and in a rage that must have confused the hell out of Kaliso, turned Kaliso into a bear. That escalated really quickly. Right, she's like, I'm so mad at you for seducing one of my followers. I'm going to turn her into a bear. Fuck you, Kaliso. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, Kaliso gave birth to a son that was eventually also turned into a bear, and Zeus threw both of them into the night sky to become the constellations Ursa Major and Ursa Minor. Wow. And we are just as thoroughly confused. (laughs) I'm confused too. So, Zeus, like the Energizer Bunny, he just keeps going and going. (laughs) And Manessocene, who was probably his highest ranking love interest on this list, was the daughter of the Titans Uranus and Gaia, making her Zeus's auntie. She must have been extremely attractive and enough for Zeus to bypass the standard of let's not make family reunions awkward (laughs) because (laughs) Zeus wanted her and wanted her bad. So bad that he went to her place of residence and slept with her for nine consecutive days. Wow. Yeah. Because the Greeks loved their consistency, Minosacene became pregnant with, with... the muses, who were non, non-uplets and gave birth to them over a period of nine days. Remind your mom about this story the next time she complains that she was in labor with you for 48 hours. Yeah, mom. Well, I know this bitch who was in labor for nine days. So shut the fuck up. <laughs> but that would be awful. So bad. All of it is bad. But that is my story of the sexual escapades of the worst father in mythology. <laughs> Number one worst dad goes to Emily. What? I mean, probably, but also Zeus. (laughs) Wow. I know. (laughs) What a story. Wow. Wow. It blew me away. (laughs) Fucking Zeus, man. Schwartz and eagles and red bulls. I mean, white bulls. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you a story that's a lot, um, it's a lot less cheery. I had a feeling mine was a little silly. <laughs> a little silly? Are you fucking kidding me? 
fucking kidding me right now? I'm taking a picture. I love it. Check our Instagram for that photo, guys. For real, it might be a new meme. What do you mean? <laughs> okay. Do you need help? Yeah, I do. <laughs> so, today, I'm going to talk about the Father's Day Bank Massacre. Nice. <laughs> Happy Father's Day. Okay, let's get rolling. Um... So, it was a bank robbery and shooting that took place on Sunday, June 16th, 1991 at the United Bank Tower, now the Wells Fargo Center, in Denver, Colorado, USA. 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 The perpetrator killed four unarmed bank guards and held up six tellers in the bank's cash vault. An estimated $200,000 was stolen from the bank. Nearly three weeks later, on July 4th, 1991... Authorities arrested retired police officer James W. King for the crime. The subsequent trial was broadcast nationally on court TV after days of deliberation. The jury acquitted King and the case remains unsolved and is considered a cold case. Hmm. So, to go back to that day, uh, at approximately 4 a.m. on Sunday, June 16, 1991, Father's Day, an alarm went off in the basement storage room at the United Bank Tower. Records show a guard in the control center turned off the alarm and took no further action. It is unknown if this incident had anything to do with the upcoming robbery. Mm. At 9.14 a.m., a man identifying himself as the bank's vice president asked for entry into the bank through a side fright elevator. He called the bank's guard room using a street-level security phone. Guard William McCullum Jr. responded by riding up the elevator from the guard room. When the elevator doors opened, the gunman forced McCullum to ride to the the sub-basement area of the bank. There, the gunman killed McCullum, hid his body in a storage room, and took his electric pass card. The killer made his way through the bank's tunnels and up one floor to the bank's basement level area, which housed the vault and guard station. During the journey, the intruder set off an alarm at 9.20 a.m. when entering a stairwell. The intruder made his way to the vault area and first entered the guard room. There, the gunman forced two guards, Philip Mankoff and Scott McCarthy, into a battery room where both men were shot and killed. Investigators believe a third guard, Todd Wilson, returned to the area during or immediately after the shooting. Upon his return, Wilson was shot several feet away from the battery room where Mankoff and McCarthy lay. Upon investigation, police determined the shooter fired 18 shots during the killing spree, hitting his victims with all except one of them. Mm. None of the four murdered bank guards were armed. Nice. Before leaving the guard room and entering the vault area, the intruder removed and tampered with evidence as to like to eliminate any trace of his identity. Mm-hmm. The perpetrator seized 10 videotapes, bank keys, a two-way radio, and pages of the guard logbook. Electronic records indicated that the intruder opened the vault door at 9.48 a.m. At the time, six vault employees were on duty processing cash deliveries. The intruder demanded that the employees cover their eyes and lie on the floor. He ordered the senior vault manager, David Barenko, to fill a satchel with cash from the workstations. Before leaving the scene, the assailant forced the tellers to crawl into a small room near the vault, 
otherwise known as a man trap. The robber made his escape at 9.56 a.m., according to the electronic records, leaving the tellers locked in the man trap. Using a broken spoon found on the man trap's door sill, the tellers freed themselves approximately 20 minutes after the robbery. Wow. Way to go, tellers. Like, how fucking, like, savvy do you have to be? Who had the spoon? <laughs> I don't know. just like, someone's like... In the middle of eating a yogurt. yogurt. <laughs> yeah. They're like, oh, I don't need the spoon anymore. And then they're like, oh, thank God, Jeremy. <laughs> you, you beautiful slob. <laughs> we all thought it was disgusting that you'd always put your used spoon in your pockets, and now we're all thankful. <laughs> no kidding. Prior to leaving the scene, the robber collected all the spent shell casings that had been ejected from his revolver while firing it. The only physical evidence he left behind were 18 bullets he fired. The surviving bank employee said the man appeared to be in his late 50s or 60s, wearing a gray sports coat, a white shirt, a multicolored necktie, blue or gray slacks, a brown fedora hat, and mirrored sunglasses, and had a bandage on his left cheek. Hmm. A fucking brown fedora of all things. I was going to say, you don't see that very often. (sighs) The ensuing police investigation involved more than 40 FBI agents and two dozen detectives. Investigators were baffled as to why the robber never filled the entire satchel with cash and only stole approximately of $200,000, a mere 10% of the more than $2 million available in the cash room and vault. That is weird. Like, are you going to kill four people and, like, do a robbery? You at least got to take it all. Well, like, maybe he thought that taking more would be too suspicious, but then he also killed four people. Maybe he did it because he wanted to kill them. Maybe he didn't really want the money that bad. That was just, like, a little, like, side thing. He's like, no, I really just want to kill somebody. <laughs> I just want I just want to see them get out with a spoon. <laughs> He's in the back watching the security footage. He's like, let's see how long it takes him to get out with that spoon. <laughs> Come on, bitches. <laughs> That's what I would do. A shot for every minute they don't get out. <laughs> That's terrible. That is terrible. <laughs> um, they also didn't understand why he murdered the four guards, but left the other bank employees unharmed, since the guards were unarmed and did not present any more of a threat than the other employees at the scene. Mm-hmm. From the beginning of the robbery investigation, authorities suspected that the killer was associated in some way with the bank. There was also some suspicion that the robber may have been a police officer due to having fired 18 rounds a standard load carried by officers on duty. Oh. Investigators questioned current and former bank employees until narrowing their search down to James King, a retired Denver police officer and former guard at the bank. After retiring from the Denver Police Department in 1986, King worked as a part-time guard at the bank between 1989 and 1990, leaving the job 10 months before the robbery. King and his wife had declared bankruptcy a year after he retired from the force and still had substantial debt in 1991, including $25,000 in credit card bills. Mm. Mr. King was arrested on the evening of July 4th, 1991. A jury of seven men, five women, and two alternatives was chosen on the morning of May 19th, 1992. The trial began the same day in the afternoon. Denver Deputy District Attorney Bill Buckley led the prosecution against King. The prosecution contended that several pieces of circumstantial 
and eyewitness evidence pointed to King's role in the crime. The arguments presented by the prosecution were that five of the six surviving bank employees identified King as the robber. However, they only picked him out of a photo lineup on the second viewing after the police had drawn a hat and sunglass over the faces of the photos so they would resemble what the robber was wearing. Mm-hmm. King also once owned a .38 Colt Trooper, the same type of weapon used in the crime, but said he disposed of it because it had a cracked cylinder. Ah, convenient. Yes. King was a former employee of the bank and, and thus allegedly understood the security systems, and he had shaved his mustache after the crime. Mm. He purchased a larger safety deposit box after the crime, and when he was asked where he was during the robbery, he said he had gone to the Capitol Hill Community Center for a match with the Denver Chess Club. Mm. However, none of the employees there remembered seeing him or remembered anyone asking about a chess match that day, and the Denver Chess Club had not held matches at the Capitol Hill. Ah, the plot thickens. Uh, they hadn't, yeah, they hadn't held it there for years. They, well. They used to, I guess, but. No, not, not anymore. anymore. <laughs> 17 of the robber's 18 shots hit his victims, implying the robber was well trained with firearms, which King was. And the 18 bullets fired at the crime scene came from five different brands of manufacturers. It was highly unusual for one gun used in one crime to fire so many different brands of bullets. In the Denver police, it was common practice for police to deposit spare rounds in the bullet buckets and for those same buckets to load their duty weapons. Mm. Since King was a former Denver police officer and the Denver police used so many different brands of ammo, this would explain why the robber's gun fired so many different ammo brands. Huh, that would explain a lot. Mm -hmm. Uh, Attorney Walter Garish and Scott Robertson defended King, and the key elements of their case were the fact that there was no physical evidence that tied King to the crime. Right. Neither the murder weapon nor any of the stolen money had ever been found. The large safety deposit box King purchased after the crime was not found to contain anything incriminating. Eyewitness identification was unreliable. Robertson showed witnesses to the crime a picture of a man disguised with a hat and sunglasses and a mustache, just like the robber. None of the witnesses could identify him. Robertson then revealed that the man was a famous actor, Hmm. Harrison Ford. Huh. So he showed them the picture of Harrison Ford and was like, who is this? And they were like, I don't know. And he's like, because you can't tell. Yeah. Um, James Prado, the former head of bank security, testified the man trap had not been installed until after King had stopped working there meaning he would not have known how to expertly manipulate it as the robber did. A man named Dewey Calvin Baker had at one point confessed to reporters that he committed the crime, though he was later recanted. Another alternative suspect was former bank guard Paul Yokeman, who had been tried and acquitted for stealing $30,000 from a United Bank ATM on Memorial Day weekend in 1990. He also lived less than a mile from the United Bank Tower, FBI agents William McCath and Charles Evans testified that they went to investigate Yoakum's apartment and they found a closet door secured with handcuffs. Inside the closet, they found boxes of .38 caliber and .357 caliber ammunition, as well as a police scanner and speed loaders and batons, replicas of badges of several police organizations, 
dummy grenades, and Yoakum had no alibi for the time the robbery took place. Mm. One of King's neighbors also testified that she saw him mowing his lawn at the time the bank was robbed. She yelled a Father's Day greeting to him. Mm. After 53 hours of jury deliberation, King was acquitted for all the charges. After the trial, the FBI kept King under observation for years, hoping to find something they could charge him with that was not prevented by double jeopardy procedure, but they found nothing. King lived with what was described as a hermit's existence at his home at 665 Juniper Street in Golden, Colorado, and he died of dementia at a nearby hospice on May 21st, 2013, at the age of 77. His wife, who had stayed with him, died before him in 2009. Oh. Yeah. So we'll never know. It's a cold case. Maybe uh, we'll find out one day. Maybe. You know, they have all this, like, uh, uh, evidence coming up now where they're actually able to do something with that nowadays. You never know. You never know. Although I feel like the fact that they didn't look further into this other Yolkman guy is like very suspicious. That is really weird because I, I thought you'd go a little bit further with like what they looked into about him but then they ended up not going through so it's kind of like well what came up where they lost interest in pursuing it you know? Yeah I know. It's hmm. so weird. And the thing that sucks about cold cases is that like a lot of the facts like never come out because like it's still technically an ongoing investigation. Yeah. Quote Which unquote. Sucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's my story. Good one. I like, like, I don't like cold cases because I, there's a lot of, you know, things where you're like, I wish we knew, but it's interesting why a lot of them are unsolvable at this point in time, right? Yeah. But who knows? It's either lost to time or we will find out one day. It's possible. Anything's possible if you just believe. Mm-hmm. Maybe one day we'll have a, a strong enough evidence to figure out uh, why Zeus was the way that he was. <laughs> Zeus, tell us why you like this. <laughs> come on, Zeus, just come forward with the information. We know you did this. Confess. Tell us why you turned that girl into a cow and hurt her hooves. <laughs> and hurt her hooves. <laughs> come on, Zeus. Be the good person here. Hurt her hooves. Hurt her hooves. I do think that brings us to the end of our episode. Happy Father's Day! Yeah, happy Father's Day. (laughs) You can follow us on social media and stuff. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Give us five stars on... Wheel of Crime. Yeah, and then uh, give us five stars on iTunes so we can reach a broader audience. It really helps us out, and that would make us give you five... We'll give you a gold star, metaphorically, of course, if you give us five stars. Right? A star for a star, man. You can email us <laughs> at or uh, wheelofcrime at gmail.com. And that's it for our show today. And that's all. We're going to talk about cult crimes next time because we were supposed to do that this week, but then we didn't talk about that this week because it was a Father's Day this week. And I don't know what day it is. I'm excited. And we're talking about cult crimes next time. So we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.